Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Not Drinking Poison podcast. My name is Aaron Aiskoff, and we're here now in Series 3 of the Not Drinking Poison podcast, which is entitled Les Emigles. And in this series, I am interviewing expat winemaker friends from all around France. Today, I'm here in Paris <laughs> with my friend Hannah Fuellenkemper, who is here from Auvergne. How are you, Hannah? Drinking water, not poison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, really, we're really not going We're drinking caffeine. Caffeine and uh, yeah. water, yeah. And uh, Hannah, you are not originally from Auvergne, as, uh, as I think anyone knows who looks at your name. Yep. I, like you, have an unpronounceable last name, so it's Fuellenkemper. Fullenkemper. Fullenkemper. The glass is always half Fullenkemper. <laughs> but no, so not from not from Auvergne, not from France. I, well, I grew up between the US and England. Mostly England, never really picked up the accent, which kind of shows how bad I am at languages. So. And I understand. I, I also have an <laughs> accent that I often describe as drowning somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic. Yeah, and yeah. then speaking not French in Auvergne is, uh, yeah. I mean, I get by, but it's tough. Well, it's improved a lot since we first met, definitely. I mean, I also don't try with my friends. That's the problem. Yeah. That's kind of like... Well, for listeners unfamiliar with Hannah's career, uh, I'll, I'll do a little quick summary. Hannah will correct me if I get anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Hannah had already done some harvest in the Loire in around 2016, which we'll talk about later. But she moved to France in 2018, found herself helping out some winemakers in Banyuls, and then moved directly from there to the Ardèche. Mm-hmm. which is a region not super well-known to maybe U.S. listeners, but I think the northern part of the southern Rhone. It's kind of one way you could look at it, right? Mm-hmm. And then from Ardèche, you moved to Auvergne in which year? In 2020, just in after COVID. Yeah. And since 2020, Hannah's career as a young negociant winemaker has been like a comet. But just to put it into context, this is the first year I'm actually working out of my own cellar. So a comet <laughs> that's kind yeah. of... Yeah, it's, it's sort of a comet that's been ping-ponging around yeah. various really precarious cellar situations in Auvergne. And also Auvergne, it should be said, is also a region that's not super well known to many wine people worldwide. It's really, we're smack in the center of France and Auvergne. It's a fairly cool region, even though you're just, you're just a few hours north of the Languedoc, but it's, it's in the mountains and it's a, a series of volcanic hills and valleys and it gets very cold. Mm-hmm. In Auvergne, mm-hmm. <laughs> there is a history of winemaking, but it's quite undervalued by the local inhabitants. Mm. Yet the land is not. <laughs> no, no, the region used to be totally covered by vines, and um, but it was never replanted after Felix era. So these days, uh, Auvergne has become a, a fairly appealing place for a new generation of outsiders to Auvergne who are coming to Auvergne and establishing winemaking businesses often with a little or a lot of negociant purchases because mm-hmm. it's very difficult to get vines in Auvergne. There's not too much remaining, and what there is, the locals do not want to sell. Part of this is because there's a, a very, very strong, intensive grain agriculture culture in Auvergne. Now, there's that, and then there's also the kind of the push of urbanization coming from around Clermont-Ferrand. So local landowners, often they don't want to give up land, partly because there's this sort of paysan resistance to selling your land, mm-hmm. and also because they think it might become constructible, they might be yeah. able to build, get a building permit for it, in which case it becomes much more valuable. Or it's already relatively valuable just for shitty grain agriculture. You know, that's the big thing. People are, it's it's more valuable to arrache, to uh, pull out your vines. Yeah. yeah. I would think if you have a piece of land or a house that it's, it's empty and it's, it's in need of care, the best thing would be to pass it along to someone who can care for it. But this is not the mentality in Auvergne. Mm. Housing is therefore also very hard to find. Particularly not some dippy <laughs> young woman who doesn't speak French very well and no. dresses like some you know, hippie dog punk. And... Thanks, Aaron. 
<laughs> you can't even tell what nation she's from. I have a cat. <laughs> she's a cat punk. I'm a cat person. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the deep countryside and people have to, people are very nice, but you have to, their answer changes if they know you. Yeah. What's well, funny, the flavor, cultural flavor of Auvergne is odd because many parts of it feel really deep countryside, but then... You also have many famous natural winemakers based like within half an hour yeah, of Clermont Ferrand. And yeah. that's like really, you're basically making wine in suburbia there. Yeah. 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 People like the Tricots and Francois yeah. Dume. Uh, yeah, you can eat in the Saint-Utrope so. every day. Exactly. <laughs> the Saint-Utrope is, uh, well, for a long time it's been the restaurant of Clermont Ferrand, but soon there will be a second. Yeah, Harry. Yeah, Harry gets, <laughs> gets things in here. Harry Lester. Yeah. So to rewind a bit, when did you officially begin selling your wine commercially? I officially started selling my wine in 2021. But it was, was it your this first was, vintage? This was, the, this was when I started selling my 2019s. Mm-hmm. Why so late? Late because, because I didn't know how to wanted to label it. I wanted to be in control of my label, but I didn't, I'm not an artist and didn't know how well, to do that. Your present labels are very striking. I think they've, they've, yeah. they've hit. Actually, it was yeah. you, remember? You, we were walking around in Paris and I had those first samples with like the textile uh, stuck on mm-hmm. when we went to the cadre yeah, yeah yeah so i did i didn't know really how to label it but i also my logistics because i've never really i'd made this wine in one place and i didn't really have another place and my i had to move the i was my logistics have always been very very complicated mm-hmm. so it was kind of out of sight out of mind i thought oh well, the wine's just getting better yeah and i just didn't really start it's really hard to take that step of doing business in france like yeah. going from the from the like the amateur kind of you know like winemaking to actually selling. I mean, I I, I have not envisioned doing that at all. But we're also talking like fifteen hundred bottles. I started yeah, not a lot with no. that, and then and then I went, moved up to seventeen hundred, and and I guess in a way it worked out well because I had have in the meantime was meeting a lot of people, so. I mean, everyone doesn't believe that I actually make wine because I always turn up without any wine. And <laughs> it's true, you're really bad at bringing your wine to show anyone. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I go to tastings without bringing wine, and I was apparently making wine, but no one had ever tried the wine, no one had ever seen the wine. <laughs> at what age did you embrace winemaking? I was uh, 30. Yeah. So what, what did you do before embracing winemaking? I come from Amsterdam. I was doing a master's in law. Mm-hmm. So I did all my studies in England. I also did a law degree. And the master's was really just to buy myself time because I was not getting a placement. It wasn't so much for the study, but more to travel. And I was doing this and I did it. I completed it. And the Dutch are very chill or much more chill about their education system. Really? Yeah, it's very much, they can take their time. They have lots of extracurricular activities. And I was just not interested in what I was doing. And I was talking to people who were interested in what they were doing. And I had nothing good to talk about my thesis. Mm. Also, I imagine you you realized you could make much more money making natural wine. Exactly. Than than a career in No, no, I did did it the right way around. (laughs) I uh, left my law degree and then, yeah. I mean, very few natural winemakers have given up to become lawyers. No, but, but they have at least made money with <laughs> which to uh, lubricate their lives. Yeah. So I, I did my master's and then I was floating around for quite a bit because you've done X amount of years of study and that whole period of your life, you think you're going to do that thing and then you don't do that thing and then you have to think, well, what am I going to do? Mm. It was in this time I started writing and I was writing about food and that's kind of how I found the wine. Mm-hmm. 
just on like a very chance trip to the Jura. Uh, I was with my ex and we knocked on the door of a winemaker whose bottle we tried in Amsterdam, not knowing anything about it. Who was that? This was a Plusar. Uh, Bruyere. Renaud Bruyere. Renaud Bruyere. Yeah. Right. And Pretty good wines. Great wines. And he only let us buy six bottles. We thought, oh, it's a bit, uh, not much. <laughs> Which actually is a, quite a lot. But actually quite a big <laughs> allocation, but I didn't yeah. know anything about anything. And I uh, got back home and I thought, oh, I could try and write an article about this just to have an idea. And that's kind of how I found out that natural wine is a thing and that this is a thing in the natural wine. So when you, when you were in Amsterdam, did you ever go to um, Florine from Bot Rouge's restaurant or the- Yeah, but yeah. she'd left just before I, like I knew the restaurant. Yeah, Cafe Schiller. Cafe Schiller's, yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, she'd left already. Okay. So I'm, I'm making reference to Florine Klein's Nouvery, but she's a good friend who is now a partner in Domaine de Bot Rouge, mm-hmm. along with Jean-Baptiste Menigos and Arbois in the Jura. And she, before embracing the life of natural wine, uh, she ran the key natural wine address of Amsterdam. Very nice old Art Deco brown cafe, yeah. Yeah. You'd been there? Or? I've been there, yeah. but at the time she'd left and the wines were not... It's I would go for a beer, rather, there. <laughs> they, were, they were that good? <laughs> no, but as in the... Like, she'd left. I don't know who followed it on. I can't... I see, I see, yeah. For us, then, it was Glue Glue in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm which was one of the first natural wine cafes, sort of in the French Paris <laughs> style. Mm-hmm. And I kind of drunk around. I mean, that's how I learned stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I had the opportunity to... I asked... I was at Anonyme in 2017, so maybe. And I asked the most handsome winemaker <laughs> I found if I could help out for harvest. Thierry Butler. Baptiste Cousin. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, that's how I did my first harvest. And that was really the best harvest, also the hardest harvest. Yeah. But I loved it. I think that's kind of what hooked me. I remember being at a lunch table with Olivier Cousin and his wife. He was showing me like the, the harvest books that he yeah, makes. these the photo really books. Nice photo books of harvest each year. And they all end with the harvesters all getting naked. Mm. And so, so I'm looking through this book. And I'm like, oh, hey, there's my friend Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're... they're I've asked them to adopt me, mostly for their tradition of um, they they make a barrel of wine for the grandchildren. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's just such a good energy, such a good... I loved it. And I knew kind of from this, but also from my experiences, I was using a lot of my like holiday time to go to France to taste domains and do further harvests. And I knew that I liked the product when it was around the kitchen table with the winemakers. Yeah. I still don't know names. I still don't know numbers and statistics and stats. I, you know, the technical side is not my side. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the side people focus on when it comes to a city. So, As in like uh, how many months in barrel, how many... I mean, uh, I, like, I can do those ones, but like, like... Just like, for instance, like you're very, very good at names. You have like this catalog brain. Remembering winemakers' names. Also. But like just, you know, points about wine. And, and for me, I'm not interested in that. Point scores. <laughs> yeah. Hundred percent, Hannah. I was really looking for something to do, also, you know. So I thought, oh, I'd maybe like to work with wine, but I didn't want to then you be on sure the sales in what side. At that time. No, I can't, yeah. and I'm not a salesperson. Mm-hmm. No, you're really not, as you can hear. <laughs> and when you went to Banyuls with your ex-boyfriend at the time, did you know you'd stay in France? No, Banyuls was just uh, I had a, so I didn't actually move with him. I, I hitched a ride with a Dutch couple who then took over the Neuf Cave in Bonneuils. 
the Nufkav is sort of the center of the natural wine world in Bagnols-sur-Mer, which is a beautiful town in the, on the beach in the Roussillon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the on the Mediterranean. It's a project uh, that was put together by an influential natural winemaker called Bruno Duchesne. Well, he put together the investment, I believe, for the, it's a restaurant and also various cellars, yep. places that winemakers work and share equipment there. And then there's also rooms you can rent as well for stays by the beach in Bagnols sur It's very modern for France, actually, as a it's concept. A great, it's a great project. <laughs> a it's, really, it's really beautiful. Yeah. So I was working there not very long, to be honest. Was it just like a harvest season or was it working it was, at the restaurant? Well, they had just taken it over. It was in April and I was there for maybe two months. But basically, I scooted over to working with the winemaker who worked in the Neuf Cave, mm-hmm. Manuel De Vecchi. He's a Italian, right? Italian. Vigno fam- della Ruca is the domain name. He's famous for his really, really elaborate <laughs> bottles. Yeah. He's, the glass uh, bottles. Yeah. There, <laughs> a lot of his bottles are hand-blown, not by him. Mm. And, uh, Did he have the interns blowing the bottles? He had, well, he had the interns realizing that the corks don't fit into the, all the bottles because, you know, they're... Was the wine already in the bottles at that time? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, we had big problems. I mean, big that, problems. That's a, that's a really big problem. <laughs> no, and like, yeah. so he... Did I you mean, have to whittle down the corks? Or what, like, what do you do at that point? I think we had to empty the bottles. Oh, wow. So it's like a thousand tiny sutirages. Yeah. yeah. And uh, no, so I did a lot of this and also labeling. And their labeling was done by candlelight his label is this form of a star, so I had to paint on with a flower and water solution. You had to paint on each leg of the star and like pull it tight so it sticks, but not too tight so that the star legs break. No, it was, yeah. I learned that... Really useful experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've never really worked with very practical winemakers. Who did you work with after... Uh... Well, so then, no. Oh, well. So yeah, then I went to actually not Mr. Practical. Um, so, well, so I couldn't find um, housing in Bagnols, which is also a bit the story of my life in France. Because I mentioned it's expensive in Bagnols. It's expensive. So much and it, exactly. It's all yeah. say it's, ver- it's vacation rentals, yeah, basically. Yeah. So I was crashing on another winemaker's couch. Couldn't find a place to live. Also was needing money. I was not being paid. It was just a stage. And an internship. So I found that there was work in, in Ardèche. It was a really rainy season. There was a lot of work in the vines. This was like May, June, July, maybe. Was it like leaf pulling at that time? It was leaf yeah. pulling. It's a lot of mildew, a lot of rot. This is in 2018. Yeah. I had been passing through. I stopped off at uh, Stefan- uh, Andrea Kalec. Mm-hmm. And Stefana told me that, you know, oh, if you stick around here, this is work. I can send an email to the winemakers around. So I stayed there. In a week, I found a house. For two months, I lived above their cellar. When the house was ready, moved over there for August. And then I was then working with Sylvain Bach. So he's very practical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I did the harvest with him. But there, the teams are kind of shared. So there's Gérald Lustrique, yeah. there's André Calec, and Yeah, to situate, to situate uh, listeners in Ardèche. So now we're back in the northern part of the southern Rhone, really. It's a really interesting cluster of natural winemakers there. There's a really beautiful scene initiated towards the end of the 1990s and the beginning of the 2000s by Gilles Azoni and Gérald Dustrique. 
two really, really influential and very, very nurturing and supportive winemakers mm-hmm. who have uh, really nurtured a beautiful community of natural winemakers in the area. Andrea Kalek uh, was one of the second generation, I'd say, winemakers who was mm-hmm. got sighted with the aid of Giraldo Streak in 2007, he began. At the time that Anna arrived, he was already working with our friend Stefano Nicolescu, his companion, yeah. who is half American, half French, mm-hmm. and uh, has been living in France for a long time. Another podcast coming. <laughs> one, one hopes, one hopes, yeah, if she agrees. It was the opposite of Banyuls in, in Ardèche. It was easy to find a place to live. Yeah. And, I mean, it was still pretty impressive, I think, your installation. I mean, I remember we met that same year in the fall, and we had dinner at your place, mm-hmm. and it was like a super cozy, well-appointed place, but you had yeah. actually built that all, you know, you hadn't, you, not, you hadn't built the house, but you'd, like, made it cozy. Yeah. Well, I'm good at making cozy spaces. You really, no, you really are. <laughs> um, and and, and you, you're, you're good at seeking out the challenge, <laughs> challenges in that regard as well. I mean, yeah. finding places that are very difficult to make cozy and making them cozy. Well, I have to say, so then for much, most of that year, I lived in the Loire. And I was working at Francois saint Lowe's. And there I was sleeping in a cave, like a cave. So this is just after. Now you've <laughs> left, you've left Ardèche and you're working at Francois saint Lowe's. Yeah, and, and well, is... I'm based in the Ardèche still, but I decided to go work elsewhere. Yeah. But just talking about making things cozy, I was sleeping in a cave without like a... No heat? So there's a wood stove, yeah. but the, the walls weren't prepared. Like it wasn't, yeah. it was just a and, brute cave. Yeah, and this is a cold part of the Loire. And in, in wet. <laughs> yeah, cold and wet. So he's west of Saumur, right? Yeah. So for, yeah, for most of 19, I was working. I did the most of the season at his place. After harvest, I returned to the Ardèche. Then there was COVID, and then couldn't find the... I, I already knew I wanted to move. COVID, you spent in France? I spent in France. I spent in the Ardèche. It was pretty relaxed for us. Mm. Like we just... You weren't allowed to leave the house without notice as to where you were going. Mm-hmm. That was enough in practice to keep us home. Yeah. But actually, I was working in the Jura at this point, just at the onset of uh, COVID. I was working at Domaine de la Pente. I was quite suffering there. De la Pantoie, yeah. 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 That's a very uh, large uh, organic estate. Or very large, yeah. yeah. Uh, in, uh, like 30 fif- hectare or something. More, like 50. Then. Okay. Yeah. No, that was tough. I mean, we were really like bust around each of the parcels. And I have to say, I was quite happy that, uh, I mean, I didn't know what COVID meant at the time, but it, it was for me a reason to cut that contract short. So yeah. I <laughs> rushed home. You're like, oh, ah, yeah, sorry. I gotta go. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and, so and then coming down with something. But it was really like, you know, before anybody knew. So it's like I got out a day too late. Like by that time, like the roads were blocked and mm. it was like, oh, wow, mission to get home. And during this time, you know, as you're deepening your experiences in the cellar and in vineyards and gigging around France, mm-hmm. what are your friends and family back home saying? Mm. Do you have a, an impression of what they thought of your, 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 my your friends career mostly, and life left turn? My friends were afraid I was going to become an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. My family, I think I told them only, like, the better elements of what I was doing. I got a cat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not living in a cave. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, would, I would send them pictures mostly of, you know, our nice, nice, nice picnic mm-hmm. lunches and just, like, the rose-tinted glasses version of France. Yeah, of living in rural France. So speaking of which, what would you say has been your absolute low in, in these experiences? Well, I just, a part of me feels too young to have retired myself from life. I feel like I've left cultural life. Mm. Like the so winemakers, it's, it's one big low, is what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, I, I've only survived this long because winemakers in general tend to be very cultural, and they've traveled and they eat foods not from France and like spice and and stuff that the rural population is not 
You're saying you miss spicy food. I miss spicy food and coriander, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm missing out on stuff. I miss going to museums. Mm. I miss going to concerts, to shows, to just having like chance encounters with people. It's something that came up in conversation with my friend Katie Warbeck in the Jura. She was saying what she really misses in the Southern Jura, where she is, is this third space, a place where people can meet up spontaneously without making plans. Because mm-hmm. in the countryside, you find yourself no. like... you drive you an hour people, to have a beer with someone. Well, that's particularly an over in your problem. Yeah. I mean, like, I think she maybe drives Half five or ten minutes, yeah. you know, 15 minutes, but there's still... Tense encounters are not... Yeah, you know, everything not is very... Thing. Like, in the countryside, you have to be very organized. I mean, the market is on X day and X day, and in between that, there's nowhere really to buy groceries that yeah. are of any quality. So yeah. you have to arrange your life around... Things like this. You don't just like bring your samples to send to the lab for analysis to the post office. You combine it because it's like you don't drive half an hour to the post office. Yeah. And my Shay is also half an hour from my house. So I also... Because yeah. like, you're living near Briud, right? I'm living just to the south of Briud. And the Briud is a town of how many inhabitants would you say? Oof, I don't know. No, it's not, it's not big, but it's not tiny either. It's like... No, but we have a natural wine. Hotel. Hotel. There's and a great that... natural wine hotel. Ortpreneur. Yeah. And now we're getting soon another place, a little calf. So that's cool. And your cellar is how far from Brood? Eight minutes from Brood. So I'm very close to Brood. But the cellar is a new thing for me. Like I said, I haven't had a, my own workspace until this year. So I got it now in May. So the next thing will be to find a house that is closer and also bigger. I'm closer very, very to your cellar. Closer to the cellar. Yeah. During harvest, me and my team, we stayed in a, in a gite of a friend that was close by. A guest house. Yeah. A guest house. Just because, you know, you can't, you can't do the, the back and forth it's at harvest morning. at all yeah. times of the night and in the morning. And no, no, no. My other aim would be to get a bigger house because I rely on the help of people who are passing through. Mm-hmm. Also, I rely on friends passing through to see me in order to have social life. And that, yeah. you know, I, I would like space to host them. Yeah, definitely. And not on my kitchen floor. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of the space at the mm-hmm. moment. So over and everything is far. You have to plan. You, it's, it's, There's not really much spontaneity. That's, that's the lowest point of your adventure in France is the lack of space. Oof, I'd have to keep talking. I'd have to keep thinking. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, there was the time you broke your foot in the cellar. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I broke my ankle. Yeah. yeah, I broke my ankle just before, uh, the day before my harvest. Like, I'd harvested for the winemaker, and then I was about to harvest for myself. That was in 19, so that was yeah. my first wines that I made and sold. So you learned how to delegate. Yeah, and I learned the importance of having a um, hydraulic press. I did that harvest with the help of a team and a horse, but also on crutches. Yeah. Obviously, everything was done for me. Mm-hmm. Which is also something I always have found difficult, like even now, I mean, as soon as you have people to help you, it means you have to know what to do. Mm-hmm. If I'm on my own... And give them clear instructions. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and already know where you're going or and why, and like I'm not really a manager. Like, I don't know what the next step is myself. Yeah. So I do find this hard having people around. Yeah, when you have several I people around, them. it's difficult. Like one yeah. person is easy because they can just chill out and wait yeah. till you think. But as soon as they get to three or four and then they start talking amongst themselves and... No, and I always am, I try to be clear with the people who come to, and I say, you know, we're figuring this out together, you know, mm-hmm. I, you can put your stamp on stuff as we all, let's figure it out. Mm-hmm. I think also just the uncertainty of living in a, in a foreign place that's not like highly developed. You just have to be very independent. Yeah. How long did it take you to learn French? Without ever studying it. Three years, maybe? Yeah. 
And for me, it took me like six to feel remotely comfortable. Yeah, but you talk a lot better too than I do. Not really. I mean, I tend and to I can talk about resolution. wine stuff. It's actually now my New Year's resolution. I would like to actually like study French a bit mm-hmm. to just be able to get it by more socially. Because that's also then what I miss. My world here is just wine. Yeah. I only speak with wine people. And so we talk about wine also because that's easier for me in the French. But like more... You like to be able to talk politics with more French people? Or basket weaving, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> basket weaving? Yeah, I like baskets. Mm-hmm. That's your new thing? No, I, I, I'd, like to, I'd like a hobby. Because yeah. wine was my hobby. And now it's your work. Mm-hmm. I mean, still a hobby. So I go places and want to drink wine. But like I said, I was really like looking for something that I wanted to do and I found something that I like to do and I threw myself into it 100%. Mm-hmm. And now that things are kind of coming together for me on the wine side, I would like to develop my other life. And I think I would feel more at home in France if also I had, you know, a network that was yeah. not... It's important easy. to have some completely useless pursuits. Yeah, and I just feels very I have lots like of those. it feels very like super like my existence is almost superficial here. It's like I'm people are always like, well, why don't you make wine in England, for instance? Well, that's just I mean just or in like in yeah. a different country and uh, or a country at least where you understand the language or yeah. where the people are. Like, why don't you have ten or twenty million uh, <laughs> <laughs> of capital to invest in yeah. vineyards? <laughs> lots of the US, in places I guess, where right? yeah, yeah, England as well. I mean, land is. Insanely expensive there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But money aside, for me, it's like I always said that the wine, it's so much more than just a product for me. It's also about the culture. And that's why I love my harvests with families like the Cousin the best because they, they're just so part of the French. They're really in the fabric of the culture and they yeah. represent a history. Yeah, and, a and they're material. And like it's all like old and wooden and creaking. And to this day, too, like I just bought a pump and that's very modern and flash. But I didn't buy an old wooden creaky pump. <laughs> no. I'm very disappointed. You know, I have those like those yeah. uh, siphon <laughs> things. Like I will always work without the machines mm-hmm. because I mean that's why I'm here. Yeah, it's nice working without machines. Even it's also just like part of the. It's the way it's always been, and it's the part of the, the part of the culture that is very, very, very from here. And I don't want to work in a in a factory that happens to make wine. Mm. And. Well, it's also, I mean, it's it's the relative smallness of the economy Mm. in places like Auvergne and much of the Languedoc that permits the possibility of making wine in this folkloric, small-scale way. Which is actually ridiculous if you think about it. You don't have this massive financial pressure. You you know, you for natural wine to exist and for winemakers to be able to take these risks with lower yields and with lesser zero products in the vineyards and you know nothing in the cellar and doing long élevage, all of this is risk and immobilization of money. You really need these economic conditions for people to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Having said that, I would like to find some kind of efficiency savings in my process because... Mm-hmm. Well, at the moment, you use a vertical press? Yeah. I use a vertical press. Is I it just... motorized or is it... No, no it's, it's, uh, it's Yeah, it's manual. It's hydraulic. Big old thing. I have two press. I have now this press since this year, and I have a smaller uh, manual press that uh, Jerome gave me. Magical Cesare new press. Yeah. <laughs> That's my special press. He's our hero. <laughs> <laughs> and um, my tanks are fiberglass. I do a bit of elevage and barrel, but only as in this year, as of this year, now that I have my spot, I can do more of that, which mm-hmm. is very exciting. I bought my pump. That's mm-hmm. also very exciting. Still learning how to not pump a lot of air into uh, wine. Mm-hmm. 
My labels are hand-painted. I hand-paint the bottles themselves. So that's a step beyond what most people do. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but this is also the place where I would like to find some efficiency savings because mm. the painting is not the issue. Yeah. The issue is on stacking the wine from where it's stored. Putting on, I, I, I place everything on the floor, yeah. paint it, and then you have to restack it. Yeah, I've seen these photos on Instagram. So you have to basically put a layer of paint, wait for that paint to dry, put the next layer on. No, I just bottles. do one layer, okay, but yeah. then you have to do the, the back label. So there's at least three extra maneuvers. So the painting came from the, the first idea that I didn't know what I wanted to have as a label. I didn't want to have to outsource this, always find a new artist or a friend or something. It's nice not to depend on someone else for your label. Yeah, I don't have a like a, an identity or a, I mean, so I thought I could do it myself. And this is what I came up with and it works very well. I mean, it doesn't work great with condensation. <laughs> with condensation? Yeah, I mean, so it's not a great thing to like... If people are storing my wine cellars, I don't know how that's working for them. <laughs> Does the paint run? You're not using something... Is it it doesn't run, but it uh, can chip off. But no, but condensation wouldn't do that. It's just more... It, but you know, when there's temperature change and the bottle becomes condensed. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it becomes a fragile thing. Ice yeah. buckets, also not great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a similar anecdote, like uh, Jean-Christophe Comor from Domaine des Terres Promises in Provence. He had a range of wines, like all this kind of little small production cuvées. He would do these bottles that had just had the name of the cuvée written on them in this kind of like a mm -hmm. metallic marker or something. Yeah. And he's like, it just became too much of a pain in the ass writing this in every bottle. So he found some way to get that printed on them. Yeah, that's then the thing. Like I started, like I said, with maybe 1500 bottles. I'm now more like 10,000 bottles. That's a lot of wine. That's a lot of wine. And uh, so my mentality is still small. Like I still save like all my little bit, you know, I, I'm, my mentality is really still very small. <laughs> but you've become this juggernaut. But I have this massive negociant. Because yeah, I buy all my grapes. Mm -hmm. You don't still have that one little vineyard of the... I do have one little vineyard. She has one tiny little vineyard. <laughs> Actually, the vineyard's not tiny. It's just that it's mostly dead. It's quite large. In fact, the name of the parcel is called Vigne Grande, I think. Okay. And that, <laughs> and that is... Where is that again? In Boud. In Boud. Yeah. From Brioude to Boud. Yeah. I basically go for lunch. I go to make a fire and, yeah. and grill and... and, how, and how, much, how long a drive is that to get there? 45 minutes. Yeah. Typical over any distance. Yeah, yeah. No, but yeah. so, I mean, if I'm there, I go for the week and I prune and I'll stay with a friend. It doesn't take a lot How of... How many liters were you able to make of that wine this year? A hundred. A hundred liters, that's huge. A hundred liters. Yeah. Yeah. So... Looking forward to my allocation. Yeah. <laughs> no, I have that. And oh, I am now also sharing parcels since last year with someone close to Clermont. So... Gives you a reason to go to Clermont. Yep. Nice. And what, what's, the, what's the story of that parcel? The story, so he used to work at the Saint-Utrop, and he has a couple of little oh, scraggly parcels. Victor. Victor, oh, Yeah. Great. Last year was our first year. We farmed it together. Farm. What, <laughs> is, the, what is the surface? So how, how big is it? Uh, he has about 30R, I think. And that parcel is 30R? Or no. it's 30R total? In total. So this is a part, this is, but so the parcel that you're helping... <laughs> <is> <laughs> no, we're doing all of it together. Oh, okay. oh so you're doing all of it. Okay, yeah. so you've got, so you got about 15Rs worth of... Yeah. Yeah, so this is 0.15 hectares. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, the idea is that we, we work it together and then it's me who's making the wine. And last year we did the wine in his garage. This year we're at my place. I kind of preferred it when it was his garage because it's just fun to do garage projects. But uh, and then we, well, so yeah, the wine is made together and we, we split it. That's awesome. Yeah. So 
finally have Gamay Dovern. That's really exciting. Super <laughs> legit. Yeah, so legit. <laughs> Yeah. Well, because the parcel in boot is Pinot, right? Yeah. Pinot, yeah. Pinot Gamay Chardonnay, but the Chardonnay doesn't give anything. Gamay, there's maybe like two boxes of it, and the okay. rest is Pinot, yeah. Okay. Although this year, there's also a bit of Gamay d'Auvergne in boot. And last year, I mixed in a lot of uh, Grignolino into boot, so. Oh, really? Grignolino. <laughs> boot is becoming very exotic. Yeah. I mean, it's a joke. You read, I, I read about myself on the internet, and, you know, people talk about the Auvergne, and I mean, I've literally made maybe 150 liters ever from the Auvergne. That's not a lot. <laughs> no. Yeah. So I'm happy to... Well, Increase your footprint in Auvergne. Yes. Yeah. That's exciting. Put down a racine. And are you not, you're not afraid of that commitment of uh, putting down... Well, I guess you're not, you don't own the vines. Well, so that's, that's okay. the thing. And I think that these kind of... And, and that's also about being a foreigner, I guess, is that like you miss like, the little like social contacts in life and but i'm starting to slowly get them like this like victor approached me and was like and he also approached lots of other people before i think <laughs> like you have to be somewhere for a while for this kind of stuff to happen yeah definitely and and i have not actively looked for vines myself but i wouldn't even know how to start to be honest mm-hmm. because my network is not with the farmers and the paysans and the old landowners yeah it definitely really helps to have like a french companion who knows the scene or something or, yeah. like, or, or like a mentor who's really behind you in within in a given area yeah 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 oh, a mentor would be great no i was always that was you've done quite a bit of work with already in the fort right well, actually, the vines are from him. Mm-hmm. But I guess he's he's 45 minutes away from where you are now, so he doesn't necessarily have the local contacts where you are now. No, he doesn't. But we help each other. We always trade work. We help each other yeah. out. And because we both work alone. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what was really great about the Ardèche with Gérald, for instance. Like, he... You just put a little word in somewhere. And Gérald Oustrique. Gérald Oustrique, yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I bought grapes from him this year, by the way. Nice. So that's a nice little circle. You'll be, you'll be the next Anders Frederick Steen. I don't think I'll be the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Anders is very much Anders. Yeah. But no, there's not... I mean, I think also just the vibe in Auvergne. The winemakers are very independent. Mm-hmm. There is yeah, there's not... a reason people go to Auvergne, it feels like. Yeah, and I don't know if it's the Auvergne that makes you like this, or if people who... Because mm. not actually a lot of the people in Auvergne are from Auvergne, like the winemakers. Yeah, not a lot of them are. No, they've come from somewhere else, and I think they maybe they come into a place like this because they like to be alone. I mean, there's just no real... Like, when I was working in the Loire, you're in Anjou, and you, you're you at someone's place, and, like, five people you know pass by. Yeah, or, like, the Beaujolais. It's like yeah. 20, 20 yeah. other winemakers pass through every time you're at anybody's place. But, and that's great. Yeah. You learn... I think you learn so much quicker. Mm-hmm. Information spreads more yeah. quickly. So I missed that. There's not really a strong network. We're kind of... It's just as, a, a loose pack of lone wolves. Yeah, yeah, but as the sort of the younger generation... We are, I would say, starting a bit. Like for the last couple of years, we've had a tasting and at Orphanor, just the startups. And that's the Nouvelle Ordre. That's tasting? the Nouvelle Ordre. Um, what part? in June? When is that? That's in June. Yeah. Because you have, I mean, you've got your friends at Belly Wine Experiment are not not far from you, right? No, they're not far. And some other young negociants in the area. Yeah. Lisa and Paul are not far. What is their project called? Loki Door. That's their negoce project together. And the both of them also have vines. Mm-hmm. Now there are like some young people. And we had a raclette night the other night, mm. just to kind of that was the big, the big social cement cement the <laughs> the friendships. Big moment on the social calendar. Yeah, of yeah. It was my first raclette night ever. 
Well, I've done raclette where you have like the actual raclette in front of you. So raclette like... is a type of cheese. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And here you have like these little paddles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I've never done like a raclette party. Really? Crazy. No, I mean, this, <laughs> this is, I mean, this is in Paris. You can't avoid that either. In wintertime, constant raclette parties. And, yeah. and everywhere in France, really, people do raclette parties with these little machines that you're basically putting... Grill cheese. You're grilling your cheese. Yeah, you're putting cheese in this little oven in the middle of the table and it becomes molten and then you pour it over some... Boiled potatoes, and ham. roast potatoes, and then you, often you cook the you, know, you cook the ham slightly on top of the thing. Sometimes, okay, do people I, do that. I didn't see that. I do that. I was missing spice. Next yeah, time I'll, I'll bring spicy sauce. Oh, I sauce. bring Tabasco every yeah. time for raclette. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I keep Tabasco with me at all times in France, everywhere. Yeah, no, in my car yeah. I have my emergency kit of salt and chili peppers and yeah. AeroPress filters. Yeah, <laughs> you never know. All the girl needs in France. <laughs> yeah, and my knife. I'm trying to carry it, not here. And your, tas- <laughs> and your taser. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, France. No, I think it's when you go back home, or when I, or a lot of my friends, my good friends are still in Amsterdam, and when it's when I go home to them, you're like, oh, wow, okay, I'm quite now French. But otherwise, I don't feel French. Yeah. But they, I mean, I couldn't tell them that I'm carrying a knife. Are you usually carrying a knife? Are you no, carrying a knife car- right now? No. All right. No, no. Because now I'm going via the airport. I remember when they took a knife off me because you just forget it's in your work coat, you know, and you're like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But if you have a knife, you also have a bottle opener and, you know, you're prepared. Taser. Taser. (laughs) Ready for the cascoot. Yeah. So what's the dating scene like in Auvergne? Well, it's hard enough to find people uh, with teeth in their mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Dental care is not great in France, I think, in general. Well, I think we're used to... The U.S.? Yeah, we're slightly over-medicated when it comes to dental stuff in the U.S., but I mean, I'm I'm thankful for it, too. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, there's not, it's just a numbers game. There's not Mm. many people in We've got to download the Auvergne dating app. Yeah, once I did. (laughs) Is there an Auvergne No, no, not the Auvergne one. (laughs) I thought I was joking. No, no, but the um, Tinder? But I, I, I just felt so bad. I mean, I just felt so sad. Like, I was doing it as a joke, and it was just like people were being serious, and then I felt like I was not respecting. You don't want to play with their hearts. No. Yeah. So it was... It was uh, but uh, no, in the, <laughs> in the Auvergne, I, um, I saw... Last year, I saw a poster for a Salon Celibataire. Yeah, they do this. Yeah. So this is like a single-person salon, like a, a big event. So all, Fair, all singles, I guess. Yeah, of the region. Yeah, yeah, and then there's... Um, but the music sounded great. It was like flashback to the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a rafa, and then there was the, I guess, disco. Yeah. And oh, and there was speed dating, um, speed so dating session. No, but I said to Orlean, we should go. Yeah. But he said there would only be uh, <laughs> ex-policemen and rapists. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> this, is, this is definitely an Orlean sense of humor. <laughs> So we didn't go, but I, I yeah, but I did send the, the picture of the poster to all my friends because also it's, it's very analog, you know, it's like a poster yeah. and like the, the, that, I think the that's, couple on, it's just is, like a this sock. This is Tinder for, Tinder for Auvergne. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's Tinder for Auvergne. <laughs> I, I've never had the opportunity to use Tinder in Paris, but I've also been slightly afraid of it because I, I know that if I ever were to use it, that I assume it would just connect you with all the other expats that you already know in Paris. And it's like, it's still mm-hmm. a relatively small dating scene. Yeah. So if you did that in a rural setting, it would be connecting you with like people you see at the post office. Yeah. You know, or like... Well, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I mean, I think it's not that many people because like, I think lots of people in Auvergne don't even have smartphones. So 
no. But apparently it's daily it's hard everywhere. No, but even in cities, you know. I mean, yeah. I speak with pe- my friends in Amsterdam and and I ask them about like life with these apps and what's dating like now and yeah. uh seems like it's tough. Yeah. Of course I do I think I just turned 35 and I'm like, "Whoa, in five years I'm 40." That's that'll be me in a few months. Huh? And uh but at least you live in Paris. Yeah. Like, like my life, I mean, you know, you're like, oof. 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 <laughs> I, I have my shade, so that's cool. But uh, yeah. otherwise, as in, I'm not fixed on the Auvergne. I like it very much. Like, I, I'm having more and more of a network there. But yeah, as I've, I've already like moved so many so times. It's fast, though, as well. I mean, like, watching from an exterior perspective. It doesn't feel fast from the inside. And for me, it's, you've been a, you know, just phenomenal in that. You got to Auvergne, and I, I was like, oh, God. You know, what she Good luck. like, you know, because I know you're you know, kind of going through a breakup and you got to Auvergne, but you managed to like build a cellar at Norbert's place. Yeah. Know? Like, so this is our, our friend in Saint Privat du Dragon, mm-hmm. uh, who's a very eccentric uh, photographer and antique dealer. Is that right? Uh, broke, uh, yeah, yeah. Antique, antique, bric- antique collector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, yeah. But also wine, amateur of wine. Oh, yeah, big, big natural wine, mm. uh, yeah, aficionado. And you. In the, okay, but in this really un, unlikely circumstances, you built this functioning cellar. Yeah. So I had my garage, and then I had Norbert's place, and now I have my place. Oh, because the garage was near... In, in Langeac. Langeac, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember I remember that cellar. Yeah, you yeah. were at the garage, too. Yeah. And you helped me out a lot at Norbert's. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, you came on the Spain trip. Yes. Yeah. Famous Spain trip. <laughs> wow, with the, the Estrella. Yeah. And, uh, with, with the, and the good bad olives. The Mosca Negra. Yeah. <laughs> so these, these, we discovered in, in Catalonia these black flies that are silent, unlike mosquitoes, and they prevent all sleep. But so, we had a swimming pool. We did have a swimming pool. Yeah. And you know, it was a very surreal trip. It was a good trip. And then we got into the worst traffic. Oh my God, yeah, we could have eaten at <laughs> yeah. Villemas. Yeah, we, uh, we should have eaten at Villemas. We definitely got on the worst traffic on Earth outside of Narbonne. Oof. With all the returning vacationers. Yeah. And then nearly drove into a water aqueduct. Oh, but it was, <laughs> we were like stuck in traffic. It was like four hours kind of thing. Yeah, that was hell. Yeah. So this is like the reality of being in a Gossian. You're... The reality of helping, of saying yes to when Hannah needs a favor. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't go so far anymore. This year I didn't, I didn't, you didn't pick up. didn't do any Spanish purposes? I didn't do Spanish, Spain. I didn't do Italy. I mean, mm-hmm. they've had no real water since last year. Oh, really? Wow. So I just thought... So it was, it, was mostly, it was mostly a practical decision not to go yeah, to Spain because, Italy. Yeah. I mean, do you sense uh, from the natural wine market, from buyers, are people ever judgmental of you going that far for, to buy grapes? Not to my face. Okay. <laughs> You're like, this is news to me. Who's saying that? Do have <laughs> names? They're, they're cut off now. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, I myself feel a bit funny about it. I mean, yeah. you can't not. Yeah, because I mean, I know among winemakers, there's always this ambient gossip about like, oh, driving six hours to go buy grapes. How is that very green of you? Yeah. Yeah. It's not green, but like even me driving to the south of France is not green. I mean, we tried to do a calculation as to how much it would cost to keep a air conditioning unit running mm-hmm. during like the summer period of the Languedoc yeah. versus driving, driving things back 5,000 kilometers yeah. in a month of harvest. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Were you able to do that? But, but not every, no, no, but not, also not everybody has uh, air conditioning True. units. So it's a bit of a false... Yeah. False friend. False comparison. Yeah, no, I, I don't, yeah. Um, For you, what would be, if you know, if you could imagine yourself, because I guess we're in 2023, five years ago, you just got to France mm-hmm. and you set up a you know, precarious living situation in Ardèche with your cat. 
Now, where could you see yourself in five years? Would you say if things work out really, really well? I'm 40? Probably with more cats. (laughs) (laughs) More, larger, faster cats. (laughs) Um, Where do I see myself in five years? If if things pan out really, really well in a very, what's your ideal vision for your winemaking operation for abracadabra, as it's called? Yeah. If you could say abracadabra and summon an ideal living living and winemaking situation in Auvergne, what would it be? I think I'd probably have a house with my cellar. Yeah. And I would have a working partner. Mm -hmm. Would that be like a romantic working partner or like an employee working partner? Well, the the romantic ones tend to be free. (laughs) 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 um, No, but mostly just like a creative and energizing and extra hands partner mm-hmm. because I say I work alone but not but obviously too creative because they have to be subservient to your vision <laughs> or creative with paperwork yes they could do looking for the most creative accountant that's sort of an yeah the, the Picasso of admin yeah I mean it sounds horrible to say but like I kind of need a wife because you know it's always I mean very very often the the female part the winemaker's wife who does a lot of this does the papers yeah not always I mean no but yeah very often. But I would just like someone to bounce ideas off on and with and also just to keep energized and motivated and keep things fun. Mm. Because you could do a lot of the work on your own. You could train a, train a cat. <laughs> no, cats are for pleasure. Okay. <laughs> not that kind of pleasure, I'm not Hannah. so into cats. I should just, <laughs> I'd like to tell the world here, like, it's just, just kind of a joke that I'll be, you know, 40 and a cat woman in Auvergne. Yeah. And then would you have vines in the area? I would like vines, but just on a sort of garden level. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, are there opportunities to plant around where you are? Again, that's something I would not do on my own. Planting, you have to find the land, and I'm not very hooked up on, you know, hooked on that. Mm-hmm. No, it would be something I would like to do with people. Yeah. It's just, I mean, I think anybody could make a bit of wine. Mm-hmm. Plants are a different thing. I think you really need to know what you're doing. But I would like to eventually have the sort of time and the headspace and maybe some financial security to take, make ex- more experiments. Yeah. Like... In, in planting things. Or in, in planting yeah. things, in, in vinifying outside. Yeah. Love to do a pat de plat. Mm. You mean uh, plant... Put, a grape garden. garden. Yeah. yeah, just should, like yeah. stuff, you know, like I started working with people who were not practical. I am not very practical myself and just, why not? Just push yeah. it. It's fun. Like I'm not, I'm not a wine, I, I don't want to be a winemaker who, who just is producing wine because I'm producing wine. I mean, it's already amazing five years into your winemaking career basically and you've gone this far. It's incredible. So mm. it's nice on some level. It's nice to have that frontier in front of you, the frontier of say more viticultural work, more planting. You know, that's a whole other face of the production process that uh, mm-hmm. arguably more fascinating you know? yeah but I'm, i have to say i'm not very good at planning the reason also that my life has been so zigzag here is because i didn't have a plan mm-hmm. including a business plan and now that i have my own space it's like i mean i rent it but mm-hmm. at least it's like it's the first time i've had any security yeah so it's the first time i can well it's just amazing what it does to your brain when you think you don't need to move your cellar every year like yeah. i can make a plan for two years now yeah and i'm like Even oh that's wow. huge yeah <laughs> yeah so <laughs> i get five we're working on two yeah no no so i'm just like just yeah. getting used to the idea that come june i will not be moving cellars two months before harvest so i mean knock on wood 
I would like to start treating things more in terms of like the longer view on what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Everything's been very much reactionary. Yeah, reactive. Reactive instead yeah. of. Yeah. But I think I think the Overn people tell me it'll come, it'll come, it'll come. There's stuff happening. Like yeah. just hang on, you know. Yeah. There's the young Danish couple who took over L'Arbre Blanc, and I'm sure that's gonna have implications. Yeah. And just in terms of like you pull in different people when you. Well, it's already incredible to when see how much elsewhere. it's developed. You know, I mean, the fact that there's a good restaurant and hotel in Brioude is crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. For me, it's really ideal because when I go down to the Languedoc, stop mm. in Brioude, I'm going to make it a routine. Mm-hmm. I think I'm always a bit of jealous of the Jura. We just need a claquette, you know? Bistro de claquette. Claquette, yeah, yeah. yeah. But even the southern Jura, they're jealous of the northern Jura for that. Okay. You know, because like, there's no good bistro in the southern Jura. But there Jura. you also have a lot of people passing through. It's also a bit more connected. No, Southern Jura? Jura? Oh, no, I mean, I mean, just the Jura in general. No, no, the Jura is not really on the way to anywhere unless you go to Switzerland often. Okay. Yeah. But it's closer to Paris on the train. Mm. I would like a faster train line. It's in tribute. five years? <laughs> I wanna... Listen Paris, up, SNCF. Paris, Clermont, uh, yeah. I want a faster it's line. The, the train line does suck. It sucks. It's really slow. It's expensive. And it's cancelled all the time. and it's Yeah. 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 Well, that's a, that's a good thing to hope for. Yeah. <laughs> better infrastructure. Yeah, better infrastructure. Something you can really uh, change. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Be the change. Yeah. Be the change, Hannah. Well, thank you so much for making the time during your stopover in Paris to, mm-hmm. to chat. Because of a cancelled train, actually. <laughs> it was indeed because of a cancelled train. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I'll be seeing you down in Brioude, I'm sure, uh, during yeah. the season. Mm-hmm. And, oh, so my spring release will be the Torello that we picked together. Looking forward to tasting it. Watch that spot. That, that we destemmed for some reason. Oh yeah, you were empty that. I also forgot that there's Macabeo in it. But I'm just now calling it the Chirello, so We won't tell anyone no, except, except for on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks a lot. Thank you.